Well, I want to welcome you to Central this morning where we seek transformation in our lives, in our communities, and in the world through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard that before? You hear it every week, right? That's our, that's our vision statement as a church. And everything that we do as a congregation is pointed in that direction. Transformation through renewal in Christ. But what we don't talk about quite so often is that we have three core values. Core values that we want to permeate every ministry that we do, every ministry of our church. And our core values are connect and grow and serve. In every ministry of our church, we want to provide opportunity for people to connect with God and one another, to grow in their relationship with God and relationships of love with one another, and then serving, pouring our lives out, following the Lord Jesus. You see those opportunities on the back folder of your worship folder every week. There's an opportunity to connect and to grow and to serve so that all of us can take one more step in following Jesus. Now, why talk about all this this morning? Well, today in the next two weeks, we're going to look at why and how we connect and grow and serve as a church. Why do we do it? And it's all going to come from Ephesians chapter 4, that place where the Apostle Paul points us to what it is like to live within the body of Christ, to live out this faith that he's given us. And today, we're going to talk about connect. What does it look like and what does it take to live a life connected to God and to one another in the body of Christ. Let's pray together as we turn to his word. Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit and open our eyes that we might behold Jesus. Open our hearts that we might follow him as your disciples. And so we ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and Redeemer. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's stop there. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I have a pastor friend who told a story about uh, another pastor's wife, not in his church, but it was about the vacation Bible school that they were hosting in their congregation. And this woman was teaching the second grade class. And uh, there were lots of kids in their church coming to VBS and they invited their neighbors and friends. And one little boy, his name Josh, ended up coming to Bible school. And Josh was missing his left arm. And so the teacher, knowing sometimes that kids might say something hurtful or something unknowingly that would would put an undue focus on a child with a disability, this teacher did a great job like we would hope all of our teachers do. She talked about embracing Josh, welcoming him into the class and how we treat one another with dignity and glory and honor as image bearers of God. She did exactly the right thing. And as it happens in many VBSs, at the end of the day, the kids would gather together and sing and prepare to go home. And so she gathered all the kids up. They were ready to go out the door. And she said to them, all right, boys and girls, 
So we get ready to go. Let's put our hands together and say, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up and see all the people. And as she came to the see all the people part, she had her eyes fall on Josh, who wasn't able to do it, wasn't able to participate, and she was so embarrassed. She was mortified because here she, the teacher, had done exactly what she wanted the kids not to do to highlight Josh's disability. But there it was before the whole class. And then a little girl named Catherine came to stand beside Josh. And Catherine put up her left hand and grabbed Josh's right hand and they bound together. And she said, here, Josh, let's be the church together. It's a true story. That really happened. What a picture. It's a picture of the truth that the only way to be the church is to do it together. That's how God designed it. That's what God wants for us, that we would live in relationships with him and relationships with each other, living as though we actually need each other in the church, which we desperately do. He calls us to weave our lives together inside the body of Christ because we're meant to live as a connected people. And in fact, how we grow as the body of Christ is we take steps toward one another in love and have the opportunity to live out our theology and lay down our lives for one another. We come to this theme in the book of Ephesians. If you've studied Paul's letters, you might know that the, the first parts of his letters are theology and truth and doctrine that, of what God has done for us and what he's, what he's given Christ for us and who he's made us to be as the body of Christ. And then Paul turns in the last part of his letters to moral or ethical implications of those gospel truths. That's what happens in the book of Ephesians. In chapters 1 to 3, we see all about how we Gentiles were separated from Christ and we've had no hope in the world, but we've been brought near to God through the blood of the Lord Jesus. So the two, Gentiles and Jews, those who were, have a heritage with God and those who are estranged from God, will no longer be two, but be joined and connected together in one body. That's what Ephesians 1 to 3 is all about. And then so we turn to chapter 4, verse 1 of chapter 4 in our reading this morning. It begins with, therefore. He's saying this is the ethical implication of all these truths of being one together in Christ. Therefore, walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. He's meaning walk in a way that's fitting with your calling or a way that's suitable with your calling so that you would live as one body, as one people. Arrange your life. Arrange the relationships in your life with all your differences and backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles and all the cultures and the differences in the way that we do things. Arrange your life so that the way that you live it is suitable to being connected together as one body in Jesus. We live our lives so that it fits, that we are bound together across all of our differences as one people of God. In fact, the Apostle Paul calls us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace in verse 3. And the Greek scholars would tell us that it's hard to overstate how emphatic Paul is when he says this here. He says, be eager, work as hard as you can to maintain what you've been given. You've been given a unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. So spend your life, work your life, live in such a way that it is fitting for you to be maintaining that unity you've been given. It's important to God. 
The way we grow up in Christ is through connection. It's through lives woven together. When we are put together and called on to love one another, that's how we grow up in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. It's simple. It's a simple command, but it can be incredibly difficult to be made one with all kinds of different people. So how do we do it? How do we embrace lives of connection with one another as the people of God? Well, what Paul tells us is that we are joined in Jesus, but we here aren't Jews and Gentiles joined together. Most of us are are Gentiles. We're non-Jewish, but we are made up of a collection of all kinds of differences. We're people of different generations. We're people of different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds. We have different cultures that are blended here together. Some of you have been at Central a really long time, and some of you are new. Some of us are very sure how things should and must be done. And others of us are more flexible about that. See, we're a collection of people who have sometimes deep and profound differences. And as this collection of people at Central, the Lord is calling us to connect with one another, to weave our lives together with one another in such a way that it fits our calling to be one body in Christ. And that's one of the reasons that we want every ministry of our church to have this opportunity within it, that you could lean in and build lasting and durable relationships, press deeper in relationships that we all need in every ministry, every touch, every opportunity to to belong to Central. We want to provide a way to join more deeply together as one another and with one another as the body of Christ. But what does it take? What does it take to do that? Well, Paul lays it out for us here. It says it begins with humility. If we're going to join together and be one across all kinds of differences, it begins with humility. What you may not know is this particular word that Paul uses for humility did not exist before the New Testament. In fact, in the ancient world, humility wasn't a virtue. It was, uh, it, it was a means, uh, what the, the meaning of the word is to be concerned with the dignity and the glory of someone else, even if I have to lay aside my own concern or my own desires, I'm going to spend my life concerned with you and your desires. That's humility. And that wasn't considered a virtue in the ancient world because they expected that's how slaves live. So slaves spend their life concerned with somebody else's glory, somebody else's honor, somebody else's dignity, and no noble person would dare put themselves under someone else. But that's the way King Jesus lived his life. Our Lord Jesus emptied himself and took the form of a servant, took the place of a servant, giving his life on the cross, even death on the humiliating cross, even though we were his enemies. He gave his life in humility. And now that same Lord Jesus who's given his life in humility calls us as his children to live lives of humility following after him. If we're going to be woven together with one another across differences, it has to start with that humility. I'm concerned with your honor even more so than I'm concerned with my honor. But he says next it, it includes gentleness or, or meekness. Now, that's not some wet noodle permissiveness in our lives. The word is, is uh, more often used in the training of animals where the animal is taught to obey the master's command rather than doing what it wants to do. 
It's a way to shape an animal's life so that its strength and its power is oriented toward what the master wants rather than what that animal itself wants. It works the same with people. Having gentleness or meekness is having our character and our lives conform to the purpose and the mission of Jesus, which is so often contrary to how I want to live my own life. Having that meekness is I'm concerned with what Jesus wants in this situation, even if it runs at cross purposes with what I want in this situation. I use my strength, use the power I have for someone else's agenda, Jesus's agenda. John Stott, the great British theologian and pastor, once defined meekness in this way. It is the absence of the disposition to assert personal rights, either in the presence of God or of men. Now, that's hard. That's especially hard for us as Americans to live our lives so that we don't assert our personal rights, but we use our strength, we use our power, we use our gifts, we use all that we have to pursue another's agenda. It's Jesus's agenda. You see, meekness isn't really about being weak. It's really not about stamping and claiming my own rights, but rather, how do I use what I have been given for someone else? Now, that can be hard inside the church. It can be incredibly difficult across different generations that are all put together like ours. It's, it's a blessing to have an intergenerational congregation. It's an incredible blessing, but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we rub up against one another and we, we have friction in our lives. It can be hard with a mix of people, some who've been here for a long time and others who are new as we see new families come into our church right now. Sometimes we have folks who get stuck in how we've always done things when new people may not know how we've always done things or they might have a different idea about how we might should pursue things. But the way to grow up is the, in the body of Christ is to connect with other people who are different from me and purpose to spend time with them, purpose to weave my life together with them, embodying humility and meekness in our interactions. It's a way to say, I'm gonna spend my life together with you and I'm willing to submit my desires to what's best for you. I'm willing to use my strength to lift you up rather than myself. It gets worked out all the time. When an older member takes the opportunity in humility to serve a student, we see this at work. When an older member asks a student, what do you think about this issue? Rather than telling them what you think, when an older member asks the student what they think, then that student feels connected in the body. They feel like their thoughts matter. Their relationship really matters. They count in this place. Or when a new person in the church is willing to ask a more experienced person, why do you do things the way that you do? Can you help me understand? Can you help me understand how we do things here at Central? No harshness, no agenda, but just working together to understand one another better. That's how the whole church grows, as we are bound together in relationship, woven lives together in humility and in meekness with each other. But Paul continues. He talks about patience. And patience is when we wait for God to work, even in some really aggravating person. We wait for God to work. That's patience. 
when someone else's growth might be taking longer than we think that it should, or the life that they are living is not changing as fast as I think that it should, or their growth and sanctification is not happening in the area I think that it should, it calls for patience. And you know, the truth is that patience comes back to us as well because our lives aren't changing as fast as they should. No one's life is growing in every area in sanctification as we would like it to. And certainly our growth takes a whole lot longer than we want. Patience is that ability to recognize that the Lord is at work and we wait for the fruit that the Lord brings about. And sometimes it takes time. It's a little bit like how a farmer has worked so many hours to get, uh, to get a field ready and to anticipate this harvest. And when they've done all of their work, it's time for them to wait in patience, wait for the harvest to come. That's what it's like in the body of Christ sometimes. We have to wait for the Lord to bring the harvest in our lives, in our community together. It also takes, Paul says, bearing with one another or enduring with one another in love. That literally is the posture of enabling two people who disagree to stay connected. That's what that means. That even though we have friction between us, we will endure with each other. We will stay with each other. We will engage with one another. We will take a step closer with each other rather than withdraw and be apart from one another. Paul says if we're going to be bound together across difference, then we have to endure with one another. You see, relationships in the church don't require that you agree with me 100% of the time about 100% of the things. That's not what it means to be part of a body of Christ. Sometimes we see things differently. Sometimes we have to talk about hard things that might divide us, and yet enduring with one another brings us back together, especially as Paul calls us enduring with one another in love. That word in love is agape. It's that self-giving quality of love, the kind of love that seeks the highest good for someone else, even when that love may not be returned back to me. It's what enduring in love looks like. I'm concerned to lay down my life and bear with you in this moment because I love you, because I'm going to give myself for you, because I am going to live my life pursuing your good, even if there's never a return. Can you see how that kind of path can actually forge unity among a people? Can actually invite connection with one another? When a church is, more, is, is, a, is made up of individuals who are more concerned with honoring and serving and exalting someone else than we are with glory for ourselves, then that church begins to be woven together in unity. When we have an intention to spend time with one another, to value time spent with one another as the people of God, even though we may not have uh, lives that look exactly the same. When we endeavor to spend time with one another as the people of God with a mutual commitment to lifelong discipleship, unity is what gets built. When an older generation of person is willing to invest in the life of a younger person and says, you know what, we're, we're always disciples. We never graduate from the need of God's grace. 
We never have grown enough among the body of Christ. We're, being a disciple is a lifelong learning exercise. Whenever older and younger people get together with that posture together, then there are all kinds of differences that get bridged. Because what's most important, being belonging to Jesus, being formed to be like Jesus, is what both are committed to. It works the same across cultural differences with self-giving love, that kind of connection with self-giving love begins to create a body that feels like the living presence of Jesus is here, that Christ is alive. It's one of the reasons that we are so concerned to pursue and value connection between different kinds of people in our ministry life together. Sunday school classes, small groups, growth groups, uh, service opportunities, choir ministry, all kinds of opportunities, different kinds of people coming together to serve Jesus side by side, a little bit like little Josh and Catherine, opening up the church to see all the people whose lives are woven together with one another. That's how we do church. We do it together. But why? Why? I mean, it's so hard, isn't it? I mean, sometimes it takes a lot of effort to be together in the, in the body of Christ, and it would be so much easier if I was to surround myself with somebody like me. Everybody around me is exactly like me. That's a whole lot easier. So why do we seek the kind of church that the Bible describes? Why do we seek to have this kind of unity across difference, these two different kinds of people joined together in one? Why? It's not just an exercise in progressive pluralism not just tolerating people for some tolerance purposes, but Paul tells these Jews and Gentiles, he tells us different generations and different cultures and different ethnicities and different Christian experiences that we pursue unity and connection because it's God's idea. That's why we do it. In fact, what these verses tell us in verses four to six is that the Trinity drives unity it's the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that drives our connection to one another. And the real power to connect is the power of God. It's a supernatural power that enables us to be forged into one body across all kinds of differences. How do we see that? Look at verse 4. Paul says, we are built into one body by one spirit. In this one body, Jews weren't expected to become Gentiles and Gentiles not expected to live like Jews, but rather the two people, the religious and the irreligious, those who have a background in faith and those who don't, from all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different cultures are built into one body with one certain hope of the triumph of God's grace. That's what builds us together. That certain hope by the Spirit enabling us to believe and live our lives and give our hearts to this triumph of His grace, that's built us together by the power of the Spirit of God. Now, that may seem obvious to us. It may seem obvious that, that we're built together and we have one Spirit that unites us all, but in Ephesus that would have been shocking because they worshiped Artemis in Ephesus. They worshiped all other kinds of Greek gods. In fact, they tended to believe that there was a separate spirit for separate ethnic groups. But God is saying here, there's one living spirit of God that takes all these kinds of different people and makes us one. As the Trinity is one, we're bound together. Verse 5, 
It's not only one spirit, but there's one Lord, the Lord Jesus, who gave his life for any kind of sinner. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's through that one faith in his work, faith in the work of the Lord Jesus, who was slain on the cross for all kinds of sinners. He was raised from the dead in victory over all of our sin and death and even the devil himself. And he now occupies the throne, ruling over all forever. That faith in the one Lord Jesus is what saves us. It's that faith alone. That salvation only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true for no matter who you've been, no matter how you've lived your life, no matter what sin might have characterized your past, no, no matter how good you've tried to be, Try to be a good boy, try to be a good girl, but we all fail when we try to be good enough for God. It doesn't matter how religious you might have been or how irreligious you might have been. There's one faith that saves us all. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who was slain for us on the cross, raised from the dead, and now rules. He binds us together because of our hope for future, our hope of life is only found in that one Lord Jesus. Looking at verse six, and there's one father, spirit, son, father in verse six, one father of all the different kinds of people who believe in the promise of God. We're all bound together belonging to this father. There's no step family with God. God brings us together into this one family with anyone who believes and he has authority over all, he says. So we can trust him. That father has authority over everything and everyone. So you can trust him. That he binds us together because he is the one who has authority to bind us together. He also says he's father through all, meaning he's at work in each other's lives through one another. He's at work in your life through me. He's at work in my life through you. And we need one another as the body of Christ. As you looked at the person sitting next to you in the pew, the Lord Jesus is wanting to work something in your life through that person. Isn't that amazing? How dignifying it is that all of us are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. And he finally says his, his father in all. He indwells us. He gives his power to dwell within us. And it doesn't matter what tribe or nation or ethnicity or language you come from. When we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he puts his spirit within us so that we have his authority in all. See, we create connection because it's God who connects us. God is at work behind all these kinds of differences, building us together, weaving lives together into one beloved body at Central. I hope that vision is big enough to give your life to it. It's big enough to spend time pursuing it. It's big enough to draw you in and draw you deeper with the people here at your church. Let me close with this. I heard a friend recently retell the story of a man from Seattle. His name was Chris Kime, and you might have heard him in the news a few years ago. There was a Mardi Gras celebration in Seattle, and Chris Kime attended it, and it just so happened when he was there, it was on television. They were just streaming it. And there was a woman who was at that Mardi Gras celebration who was attacked. An attacked downtown in that Mardi Gras celebration, and Chris Kime jumped in. 
He jumped in to try to save that woman's life, to try to protect her from being beaten, but it resulted in Chris Kimes' death. The woman survived. He did not. He gave his life trying to protect her. There was another man who was watching TV that day. His name was Rick Allison. And he remembers watching that unfold on the TV. And he told his wife, I hope that young man makes it. It looks really bad. He didn't make it. A couple of hours later, after Kime died, the phone rang at Rick Allison's house. And his wife picked it up. And she began to shout in disbelief. You see, Rick had pulmonary fibrosis. And he needed lungs to be transplanted to keep him alive. And the doctor on the other end of that phone call said, you are a recipient of this young man's lungs. You're about to receive hero's lungs, the doctor said. And Rick's gift, I mean, uh, Chris's gift of his life would save more people than just Rick. There was another man across town named Larry who received his heart. Another person, woman, received his pancreas, another one kidney, still another, a second kidney. And Chris's mom was trying to figure out, how do I mourn the loss of my child? How do I make sense of what's happening here? So she had an idea. She invited every person who received a transplanted organ from Chris's body, invited them all over to dinner so they would have a dinner party at their house. Larry was one of the first to arrive at that dinner party, and she put her head against Larry's chest and she said I just want to hear the heart of my son can I just listen for just a moment of course you can others arrived and she began to introduce them to one another by their organ they had received (laughs) so she said heart here's lungs and lungs meet pancreas and there's kidney one kidney two and, and they all were seated around their table for for dinner that night And what this woman realized is every one of these people around her table had a part of her son in them. And she felt connected to them in some way, some mysterious way. She felt as if her son were alive and all of these people around her table. And she felt like this is is a taste of experiencing the goodness of my son's life because he's in every one of these people. Friends, what I want you to know is every one of us who've trusted Jesus have Jesus within you. Jesus has taken residence in your heart and he binds us together because Jesus is alive and involved in all of our lives. We are bound together because Jesus is here. Jesus is in us and Jesus unites us together. That's what we celebrate today. We celebrate that when we were dead and lost The Lord God Almighty found us and and gave us new hearts. He saved us through the gospel of his own son and he's made us alive by his grace. And then he's placed his spirit within us. He inhabits you. He inhabits me. And because the Lord Jesus is alive within each one of us, we are bound together. We are connected together because we are connected in Christ. It's his life. It's his power in us that enables us to love one another. It's not going to make it easy. It's not easy to be bound together to all kinds of different people. Certainly not easy to embody humility and meekness and patience and endurance. It's not easy at all. But with Jesus alive in us, he will give you and me a new power, his power, 
to connect with one another, to serve one another as his own people, and we come soon to figure out it's our own people because we're united to Christ. Let me leave you with this question. Where might Jesus be calling you deeper into connection today? Where might he be calling you to spend some of your precious time in connection with the people of God because Jesus is alive in them and he's alive in you? Where does he want you to invest? Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful that you have saved us. We're grateful that you've made us alive together with Christ. You've given us new hearts. You've given us the gift of your spirit. And so, Lord, we ask by those gifts we would be knit together as your people. I pray, Lord, that our relationships and our connection would be of such a quality that when the world outside looks at our church, they see Jesus alive and at work. See Jesus here because you are. So, Lord, would you equip us and enable us, enable us to love one another in humility and meekness and patience and endurance because you're alive. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.